spoken there. I haven't for a flying for a long time. I have a dream that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I have dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass. More years than I dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins. Where we all came from is the hell of that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional materials. Spoken, you wake up one morning after not reading a book since your school days and you decide to be a writer with no good or bad writing to compare against your own. You just know how to write and anyone who tells you otherwise is wrong. Hell! Maybe they're jealous of your natural ability to craft the masterpiece. After all, most people need to learn through a combination of books, courses, critical feedback and workshops. Not you, though. It's not their fault. They don't realise your natural talent, but they soon will. How to Write Wrong is a new book by Amanda Steele. The book which is an interactive story, gives the reader multiple options throughout its story. The book can be purchased from Frozen. Spoken Thank Label. you today for tuning in to Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up at the beginning of 2016 and as of recording has over 200 sessions in our archive. Although the podcast can be heard on Anchor, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and literally 10 or 11 other networks. The full archive can be found at Spoken Label, all one word, Spoken Label, dot band camp. Dot com. On the Bandcamp, it is set as pay what you want, so you are entitled, if you wish, you can download it or stream it for nothing. But if you're going to throw me a couple of pennies my way, it is always eternally grateful to help me maintain the operating costs and future running costs of the podcast. Enjoy. Spoke Hi guys, Andy and Spoken Label back in the house on Zoom again today. A bit more local today, well, considering we've been doing lots of podcasts in France and Ireland recently, today we're going over to Macclesfield and I've got a young writer on the other line here who I've been aware of for about a year or so now, but I hadn't actually seen her perform until she guested at my night speakeasy recently. Now, to Lua Howarth, who we're talking to, I've just made a blush off mic already because she read over it. Word Central and Central Mansion back in the last year. And I had three people say to me afterwards, it's brilliant. And I wasn't there for once. So I thought, right, kept an eye on the name. And once you read the speakeasy, yes, 
plots, session plots. <laughs> so Tallulah, <laughs> introduce yourself to everybody, tell them who you are. Obviously, we know where you come from. What led you into creativity then, your writing and everything else that you do? Um, so yeah, I'm an 18 year old poet and spoken word artist. And sometimes I dabble with fiction writing as well. Um, trying to get into TV drama writing at the moment as well. And I think what sort of led me into it were a few experiences at high school and um, sort of the, the first time when you get forced to write poetry as part of a class. And then you think, wait, hold on a second. This is actually quite, <laughs> quite fun. So um, I guess what I cite as my most influential uh, thing that got me into writing poetry was finding a book called Hooligan Trees by Alan Burke at a book swap when I was about 13 or 14 and it completely just changed my perspective um, on poetry writing uh, and made me think oh it doesn't have to be so literal because I was very much writing uh, stuff that was completely fact-based and not very creative um, so when I found that that really inspired me and after that, I had some work experience at the end of high school in uh, Manchester's Contact Theatre. And as part of that, you were invited to go to one of their Young Identity sessions. And that was my first time performing poetry in front of other people. And everyone was just so encouraging. Um, and that just made me think, yeah, I could get used to doing this. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, obviously, I know obviously you were telling me off mic before that, Tim. You're doing some work with Young Identity at the moment, aren't you? So, so do you want to tell us about that first of all? Then? Um, so, yeah, Young Identity are doing a partnership with Manchester International Festival and Zuverian College at the moment, which is the college that I've been going to um, up until recently. And it's centred around um, debating and political poetry and uh, speech writing and it's called Speak Out. I think it's a really good project to be involved in at the moment with the political uh, temperament of the world. It's just, uh, yeah, everything is going on right now. I think it's great to educate yourself and it's sort of helping me be a bit more democratic whereas I'm can be quite emotional in debates and fly off the handle a bit. So it's good to <laughs> get a bit, get a bit more grounded. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Very now, I want to ask you. So there's a couple of things we need to talk about with specifically. I found really interesting. Is that uh, you were telling me before of my which I've got a go experience now. Actually, you made the shortlist, didn't you, for the BBC Young Writers Award for 2019 with mm -hmm. the piece called "A Pair of Eyes." So. Tell us about this then, first of all. What made you want to apply for this award and what was the experience after making the shortlist? I have to admit, it was a very last minute thing. Um, it was a piece that I'd written in college with a, with a visiting author and um, she encouraged us to just be writing these short stories and just, you know, send them off for competitions uh, on the off chance you might get you might get anywhere with it. Um, and the competition itself was for an a thousand word short story, whereas mine came 
out to more about 300 words. So I thought, oh, it's probably not really going to compare to to some of the other stories. I think it was very last minute, to be honest, that I sent it in. So I really wasn't expecting anything to come of it. And then the the shock when I finally realised uh, I got the email and I was like, oh, wow, uh, that's crazy. Um, I think what made it get that far was how short it was, which I didn't expect would work in my favour. Um, mm. I imagine some of the others were much longer, so it kind of stood out as as an outlier of being like a very um, micro story. So, yeah, the experience of actually going to the event in London was nerve-wracking definitely um i had it recorded by an actor as well and that was oh, wow. what they published on their website wow. um, <laughs> meet the guy who voiced over the story as well on the night and it, that was really nice um because it was like oh that's great you've made made it come to life a bit so wow. it was really yeah. cool really my first like sort of networking event as well uh <laughs> <laughs> very daunting you know? oh yeah completely wow now obviously i'm very interested in knowing obviously that you i've spotted before that you're a poet laureate your high school weren't you as well when you were back at school mm. now that's quite interesting what did they expect you to do when you became poet laureate for your school so uh it was like writing poems for newsletters and um organizing events so it would be like world poetry day and you'd have events in the library where students could just come up with like an open mic oh, um, yeah. and sort of oh, encouraging, wow. encouraging like the, the younger kids to get involved with it and stuff. So um, I think, yeah, I, I might have possibly got that role in my last year. So I'm not sure uh, how, how much it achieved, but I think they had like a committee for it. So they have other people who picked it up after. I left and stuff. No, yeah, no, there's still something to go on your CV and it's an experience. I think as writers, I always believe it. When you really get going into it, doors open for you and everything you do is an event you eventually an experience and that I've I've had that. Okay. okay. Moving on now because sorry. I was just gonna say the uh good thing about it was I had to that was like getting used to performing in front of a lot of people because it was sometimes in assemblies which of course is like a room of 800 kids and stuff so it was a good oh, wow. introduction oh yeah completely i think when you're doing that you're, you're, you're more more ready than to perform in front groups of 50 to 100 people definitely 800 mm. audience. wow I've, I've done it a couple of times and it's not easy <laughs> sure. okay now i'm very interested in this, obviously there's a few things that you've done and this is why you're a pleasure to interview because you've already done a lot of bits and pieces and it's great to chat about. Now, I know you also were commended, weren't you, in Bailey Blackburn's 2000 August, August Challenge 18 on found poetry. What mm. led you into this then, into found poetry? Um, the Young Poets Network um, have a like great amount of prompts and competitions for, for young poets and I think I'd been following that stuff for a while um, and just trying to get involved because uh, you can send in stuff you've written already, but it was great to find the motivation in the stuff that they uh, suggested. So with that one, it was just to write 
any found poem. It could be a blackout poem. And my idea was to pick texts that I've had with friends um, and like messages out of our conversations and sort of compiling them all together. Uh, looking back, I suppose I had somewhat of a tumultuous friendship group when I was younger. And um, I thought it'd be interesting to put some of those messages together to sort of have a, have a look at what my younger years were like. Um, and I've always found blackout poetry quite tricky, but um, it, was a, it was a good introduction to it and it was a lot of fun. Cool. Cool. Now, show people now how very who you are and your creativity. That's what I'm finding really interesting, aren't you? I know you do singer-songwriting too, because I heard you, and you, did, you did a spot for, for homeless charity earlier in the year on their show called Girls All Around Three, which I remember the time to tune into. Brilliant. Have you done what? Have you done a lot of singer-songwriting stuff before? Is that really, really a debut for you? Um, I think in terms of gigging, I've only done perhaps one solo gig singing before that online one, because uh, it does tend to be very poetry-centric. I used to do gigs with my sister, and they were more sort of um, like based around <laughs> fantasy um, fantasy parody sort of songs when I was a lot younger. But in terms of my own singer-songwriting, I guess that's more of a personal outlet. And there's only a few that I feel like have gotten to the point where they're good enough to be performed in public yet. I think I'm gonna eventually work towards um, releasing an album at some point, but I'd rather not rush it. I'd like to, you know, be completely comfortable with it being out there and being my best work. So that's more of a long-term project, I imagine. Yeah, you've got time, you sound like said at the moment, you I said, yes, you've got so, so much other stuff on the go. We, if we want, if, it's what I think is almost like a rainy day project, isn't it? So, which is cool. Yeah. Now, okay, um, you did mention to me about the Portico Sadie Massey Awards, was it, before as well? Yeah. You want to tell me about uh, that? You said that was an interesting experience, that was your words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it was a review writing competition, um, and it could either, I think, you could do a creative response to it as well, but I chose the more critical review and I responded to the poetry book that I mentioned before, um, Hooligan Trees by Alan Burke, with it being one of my biggest inspirations. And through that competition, um, I got in touch with the original publishers of that book, The Bad Press. I think they're based in Cholton. Mm. And... It's been out of print for a long time um, because uh, Alan Burke tragically passed away when he was about 20 um, in 2000. So this book's not been in print for ages. And I thought, if I've written this review about it, no one can actually get their hands on it and read, read what poems I'm talking about. Um, so I was wondering if he had any backstock or something like that. But I think getting in touch with the publication um, really uh, sort of showed him that people found that book important. And um, he's, well, 
in the early process, hopefully, of getting it republished, which is like oh, fantastic, yeah. Because the those poems just like are so life changing for me that it got me into writing in the first place, and being able to share them around again with people, um, yeah, it just felt really amazing to think, oh, I can actually have that impact that these poems that have been out of publication for years might come into circulation again so oh yeah. yeah it shows you sometimes what, what impact you can make with stuff like that sometimes like you said definitely because it's I, I i know of the book you're on about but i've never read it never read it so i'm like it's and i've had dealers with the press as well before now because i've been publishing a book by a friend of mine whenever right yeah so they meant to go publish it but as he it's something to be proud of that. Definitely you've bought a book back into print without print for years. Fantastic. Okay. I want to know next as well, because shows you show people how varied your work is. Tell us about this session you did for Bad Punk last year, where you did an hour of poetry with a live improvised soundscape. Mm. Um, that was uh, really that was probably one of my favourite experiences that I've had so far. Um it was this, yeah, this hour-long session with um, Johnny Brown and Inga Talera doing the, la- the live soundscape. And it was, in terms of uh, the soundscape, that was completely improvised when we were doing it. So we didn't really have much discussion before. I just went in with, I don't know, 20 poems and she just played around with the soundscape whilst we were doing it. Um, it it felt very yeah off the cuff and sort of that collaboration in the moment when we were trying to um, coordinate the poetry and the soundscape. I think as well there was a moment before we went live where Johnny just said, "Let's all do a battle cry," <laughs> and so ten seconds before we went on, we all just screamed, and it was it just felt great. And actually hearing how it came out um, afterwards and listening back to it, uh, it was just definitely something I really valued. Really, and that's, that's a great story, that indeed, because I've, I've had a similar experience myself with a bookshop in Brighton some years ago when I know somebody, it was a cello, electric cello player that played with guitar effect pedals and a, and a sitar player did something similar. And I went down and they asked me, because I knew somebody to do something very similar, I had to go and do a short story, which wasn't complete. And I had those two going in the background, the improviser, we went on for an hour. <laughs> that was an experience here. Yeah, it's great we do stuff like that. And it's, something is going to be with you forever, I think, definitely so. Yeah. Do you have any ideas where you think your creativity is going to go next? Um, for a long time, I imagined I would go into the drama school route and sort of try and get on the like London acting um, scene but more recently I've decided um, that perhaps I'm going to go down the community theatre sort of route instead because I feel more passionate about it and I I think there's more that you can get out of helping people than have a really commercial sort of career. I think as well uh, with that sort of course you get to write and devise it yourself rather than performing other people's work which is quite important to me and I sort of 
want to do it all in the in the way that I would like to carry on writing poetry. I'll still write songs and you know writing theatre and performing theatre. Um, I think it very much <laughs> will be a DIY career. Um, I don't know. I'd like to, yeah, just keep it varied and open. Hopefully, just getting involved in projects that I'm passionate about. Hopefully, getting a a poetry book published. Um, I've always had this idea in my head that I wanted to get it out before I was 18, <laughs> which was this sort of like secret, like, not a secret, and um, just like a deadline I made up in my head where I was like, listen, you have to get it out. It'll be really impressive if you're like a child and you've got this poetry book out. Um, I've had to sort of quieten that down and be like, well, no, it's probably better that it's really good quality and you've spent the time on it. Um, there's no there's no rush really with that sort of thing. <laughs> so yeah, I'd like to um, get that out at some point. I've been editing that over lockdown. Uh, it's just a weird process with editing because a lot of these poems that I wrote like when I was starting out, so they'll be from when I was like 14 or something. And wow. <laughs> you want to like retain how you felt at the time and the authenticity of what you were feeling when you were writing that. But at the same time, you've got to update the actual quality of it because obviously my writing's changed a lot in four years. So I'm sort of grappling with, with that at the moment. Oh yeah, you will be. You will be that because like it's. I'm always a believer in writing anyway. Like it's, every, whenever you're a writer, everyone's a journey anyway. Because like it's, mm. you're constantly evolving, and it will be like your writing's going to be changing all the time. Mine is. And I'm 48 now, and still, it's still not staying mm. the same. It's always moving on. Oh, great stuff. Okay, if people want to find out more about you, Tallulah, where are the best going? Um, probably the. Uh, Facebook page Tallulah Howarth Creative which I update whenever I'm involved in any competitions or events and things like that so that's probably the most cool, uh, cool. accurate cool. place fantastic okay that's all my questions today anyway so what we'll do is we'll take a quick break let you get yourself composed and everyone hang around because Tallulah's fantastic so I'm looking forward to hearing this so see you all in a minute Hi, folks. Okay, my time for me to take a break now. Straight over to Tallulah. Over to you, my friend. I know you're doing four pieces for us today. So the first one I'm going to do is called Kitchen Sink Surrealism. And it's a bit of an old favourite um, that I get out at all my open mics and stuff. And I had it filmed by And What TV as well, which you can find on YouTube. It's a great channel. Um, they do a lot of of uh, poets that I know and great sort of visuals as well. So yeah, kitchen sink surrealism. He was a secret he kept from himself. His childhood stored in a box on the shelf underneath piles of paperwork and adolescent attempts at philosophy. Drenched in contempt, like writing it down would make his brain less unkempt, but instead he was just strewn in an island of documents, 
isolated from his own identity. His paper-thin excuses to himself, how he can justify wasting so much time, veins coursing with medication and regret, trying to find a remedy for a disease he didn't have yet, how he drank away the birthdays and the funerals and the gray areas in between, scrawled on one piece, I thought this was what it meant to be young. Memories like lifetimes away, stale and softened by the decades they were left untouched. But now, now he sits and nurses them, realizes he's grown up into the person he wished he'd never become. Nostalgia is initially warm. Back to those days when his soul was reborn with a summer-kissed hopefulness of golden days and silver nights that wouldn't end. But on the underside of every silver lining there's a blade, a cold knife to the retrospective bliss that says, your memory is reconstructive. Those days weren't as good as you remember them, and you can't carry on living in the past just because your present has turned sour. He wishes he could turn back the hours and admire the crushed eggshell wallpaper and the water dispenser in the waiting room. He thinks all this as he stands in the smoking area in his hospital gown, chewing bitterly on his last cigarette. Wow, that's really powerful, that. What was the experience then like then? Obviously, don't you think with and what TV then? Because I, I didn't know about that one before. So, so was that quite a surreal experience being on that TV channel, was it then? Um, well, it, it was a very cold day and we were filming outside um, in Vimto Gardens. I, I don't know if you know where that is. It was near the station. Um, well, no, really. no. <laughs> it's got a massive statue of a Vimto bottle. It's a cool. wacky place. <laughs> and so it was absolutely freezing and people kept walking past and seeing the camera and, you know, shouting stuff or getting in the shot so eventually we had to retreat to um home and ended up filming it inside a toilet against the <laughs> toilet <laughs> so, <laughs> brilliant uh, <laughs> that's the guy in my ear there i can't say it looked uh very normal when three women walked out of a toilet holding a massive tripod and camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's excellent. I'm well impressed. It. There was quiet enough to film it. Um, so yeah, not, not the most um, orthodox of um, filming. <laughs> uh, oh, there. Fantastic. Okay. Definitely Let's move. Memory there. Oh yeah, God, I'm, look, I'm checking that one out definitely later on. Yeah. <laughs> the trouble is when I see that video now, I'll be thinking, oh, they shot in the toilets in home. Brilliant, <laughs> 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 crammed in one little toilet. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, moving on then. What's your second piece, Mr. Nader? Uh, it's called Bedroom at the Bottom of the English Channel. And this one I wrote for an event, again in home actually, um, <laughs> And it was for, it was an event about um, being queer and in Manchester. So it was sort of highlighting the themes of um, urbanization and gentrification um, 
and yeah, just uh, being queer and having those experiences growing up. Industrial giraffes and a building destined to detonate telling me 06, 05, 04, 03, 02, 01, oh no, I lost my place. I think I was trying to say something meaningful, like, like she didn't have smoker's hands. They were too small and nimble, like porcelain. And she shouldn't have had a sunflower cigarette plucked between her third and fourth fingers. And, and she shouldn't have puffed and thrown up her guts. Mother nature hurls up autumn leaves as sick. We waited for the lies to linger in the air before addressing them. She's sitting there, a modern Mona Lisa, staring death in the face for so long, she makes it uncomfortable. She told me. She didn't care if her last words were poetic. She had the kind of laugh you could have lived inside. The kind of laugh you wanted to curl up and sleep inside. The kind of kiss you didn't want to end. But when I first got kissed by the city, trading skyline saliva, glittering lights flitted past my plane of vision like fireworks. Tongues running over concrete teeth, chlorine lips. I felt like I was 50 stories high. I didn't know I was destined to detonate. Really? No, it's got a really good ending, that one straight away. Fantastic. Yeah, I could feel like the detonation, the explosion, then that excellent stuff. Okay, let's move on then. On to number three. This one is called uh, There's Something Wrong With The Tap. And it was not a free write as such, but when I was writing it, uh, it just came out really easily um, with the imagery. I could just really see it when I was writing it and it ended up being one that people sort of go, oh wow, that's really surreal and uh, out there the most. So, yeah. I gripped the handle, twisting it clockwise. At first nothing came out, but then the most grotesque of solutions of human hair and mud an old lint from a carpet and menstrual blood and fingernails and cigarette butts and dry skin and spit and guts came flooding out into my cup. I attempted to screw the handle anti-clockwise and turn it off, but it wouldn't budge and the sink was now overflowing. Out of the tap came childhood drawings thrown away, the bones of missing pets, the list of things I was supposed to do that day, the names I can't forget, flying out of the faucet in an almost accusatory way. This compound of obscenities has made its way up to my shin. Death is smeared everywhere. The pure texture against my skin is enough to retch. I reach for the phone and call a plumber and tell them there is something wrong with the tap. By the time the plumber arrives, I am submerged and I cannot even spit it out. It is above my eyes. I am floating or drowning. Brilliant, yeah, brilliant now. Again, it's, yeah, because see the tone, you've got a difference in the tone there to your first two pieces in that one. So do you, do you often do free rise like that? Or do you, are you more, sound like you work with a bit more 
probably planned a bit more in it. So, but that's yeah, the different tone to that straight away. Mm. Yeah, I've got <laughs> just. I probably went through a period of writing far too much about bodily fluids and realizing. <laughs> <laughs> when I did it in I did an open mic in a pub once that I hadn't realized was an acoustic night so everyone else was just doing uh, songs and I was the only poet there and I sort of um was reading these really depressing poems and then looked out into the crowd and just saw the most blank faces ever and <laughs> I think I introduced with it with um yeah you may want to turn on to the hard liquor for this so yeah <laughs> can't say that was the most receptive <laughs> crowd yeah very very difficult when you're doing that sort of audience i'm sure so <laughs> actually i've had friends do that before now that i couldn't do it. respect you there i definitely <laughs> couldn't do it so right anyway we're on to the big conclusion now aren't we yes we are it's called humans are infinitely repulsive this morning felt like years ago. You are the black ice I couldn't brace alone. Mittens grapple for a mother's hand. Silver spits on tinfoil scales. Sunset slit in between office buildings. Yellow goddess, you are a gas leak mirage. Please stay behind the two pink lines. Is it normal for someone this young to feel so tired? I have lust for wisdom. I wear my heart on the same sleeve I used to wipe nosebleeds. We'd be scolded in class for laughing, so we'd make like pufferfish, coughing and spluttering. I tie my shoelaces bunny style. I wasn't allowed to stay a child. I don't know how you came to be so heavy, you say softly, as if you know the words will break me. You rubbed sugar into my wounds. So I bled sweet nothings and couldn't say why I was in pain. Too adult in her stride, altered by experience. She learned what her age never should, that people can be cruel and that the night is an entirely different world to the day. Blistered lips and calloused fingers plastered on impoverished walls. Innards pulled out of my body like a piece of string gathered in your arms. I think to myself, perhaps this will be the last time you hold me. Oh, that's beautiful. Really sad man, you that one. So was that the sort of piece um, where the title came first or did it come afterwards? Piece. It's quite it's a very distinctive title, that's for sure. Sorry, are you saying if the title came yeah, first or yeah, because the title in humans are infinitely repulsive. That's a quite a strong title to call a piece that. So did you find that one, was that a case where the piece came first and you tackled it afterwards or did it wear out? Uh, I think as it goes with most of my poems, I get the content first and then title it afterwards. Um, and it sort of came about in the editing of my book. Um, I got an almost, well, a contrasting piece called Humans Are Infinitely Beautiful. Ah. And then this one's next. So, yeah, it was more of a, a structural thing that it came about from. Brilliant. That's great. Great stuff. I enjoyed that. Thank you for that today. Well, that's it. Anyway, guys and girls, thank you again to Lula. It's been a pleasure today. Thank really you. enjoyed it. You've been 
been really interesting today, so I appreciate that. Right, hang around, need a quick word you off mic, but this is Andy M, signing out. Take care, guys and girls, stay safe, stay on. See you soon. Spock, mate.